Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hey, I'm so excited we're still together as a church, even though it's online, and I'm excited that we're able to share the Word of God together. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your Word. Thank you, God, that you're going to help us walk in wisdom as we unpack this Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we're continuing our series, we're dealing with David's son, Solomon. So we talked about David for three Sundays in a row, and now we're getting into Solomon but we're going to extend Solomon about two weeks. So it's going to be a three-week series because we're going to talk about wisdom in general. And so what we're going to talk about is Solomon and the call to wisdom, to walking in wisdom. So it's going to be a three-part series. So we're going to deal with chapters 2 to 11 in 1 Kings. So after the death of David, his son Solomon reigned in his place. And this was an interesting choice because Solomon was the son of Bathsheba, whom David unlawfully took as his wife after he murdered her husband Uriah. So even though uh, Solomon was born in very interesting circumstances, the Bible says that he had a special place in the heart of God. It tells us that he was beloved of the Lord. We find in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 and 25, that after their first son died, David and Bathsheba's first son, which was as a result of uh, adultery. David comforted Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And so she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. And so he called his name Jedidiah because that means he's loved of the Lord. So this illustrates that even if our family history has a sordid past, we can still have a special place in the heart of God. And so we want to look at what the Bible says about Solomon. And basically, when we think of Solomon, we think of the phrase, the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, The Bible teaches us a lot about wisdom, and Solomon was somebody that was punctuated by his ability to walk in amazing understanding and wisdom, and we're going to see why that is the case. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the effective application of knowledge. So many people can accumulate knowledge, and they are book smart, but they have no common sense. Uh, They have no wisdom. I'd rather be street smart than merely be book smart. Of course, it's better to have wisdom in the street and knowledge of books. So I'd rather have both. And so wisdom is a very important aspect, especially for getting along in this world that's filled with many bumps and bruises and many things that are unpredictable. So wisdom is the effective application of knowledge. Just having knowledge isn't enough. Another way of saying it is wisdom is knowledge effectively applied. Why is wisdom important? Well, wisdom is the attribute of God that was personified in the Messiah Jesus when he formed the world. It tells us in Proverbs chapter 8 that God used wisdom when he 
uh, created the world. It says, Psalm 8, verse 20, Proverbs 8, verse 27, that when God prepared the heavens, wisdom was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. So the context of that is wisdom. So wisdom is the foundational underpinning of the way God created the universe. The whole created order is made through wisdom. So God obviously uses spoken word, but that word carried the universe, which was encapsulating wisdom. So wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is the underpinning of the whole universe. And wisdom, it tells us in Proverbs chapter 2, protects us from making destructive choices. Proverbs 2 verse 10, it says, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is present to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil. So wisdom not only is the underpinning of the world, by wisdom we make the right choices, we can walk a purposeful life, and it keeps us from making foolish decisions that destroy our life. And so Solomon was a man of wisdom. The Bible tells us that he was wiser than any man who ever lived at that point in his life. Of course, Jesus was greater than Solomon, but before Christ, Solomon was the smartest man who ever lived outside of possibly the first Adam. And so in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says that while Solomon was in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and asked him, what do you want me to give you? And so Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for his enemies to be destroyed. But it tells us in this narrative in chapter 3, verse 5 to 14, that he said, uh, I need wisdom and a heart to judge your people so that I may discern between good and evil. Because this is such a great assignment you give me, otherwise I can't judge your people. So the request, please the Lord. Because God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life, you've not asked for riches for yourself, you've not asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. I've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there arise anyone after you. But I've given you not only what you've asked, but I'm also going to add to you riches and honor so that there will not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commandments as your father David did, I will lengthen your days. God was pleased with Solomon's request because Solomon's request was not centered upon how he could better himself, but how he can serve others in wisdom. And during these tumultuous times, God will especially be pleased with those who are concerned for others and not just for their own well-being and not just for their own self-preservation. So we need to serve God and understand how to walk in wisdom towards our family, church, and community during these days when we should be looking out for others. Almost immediately, the wisdom of Solomon was tested 
So right after the narrative of Sam, Saul, uh, Solomon's encounter with God, we find that he was approached by two women who were prostitutes. And it so happened that they were fighting over a baby. One said that a child that she just had was stolen by the other harlot, and they were arguing over whose baby it was. And without reading the whole narrative, um, it says that the king answered and said, the woman who was living, uh, whose son was living, spoke to the king and yearned for compassion with her son when Solomon said, let's just cut the child in half. I'll give half to one woman and half to another. He did that to discern who the real mother was because the real mother wouldn't want her child killed even if another woman raised her. And so the woman whose son was living spoke to the king and said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living son. Do no harm to the child. The other said, No, let him be, him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him in half. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And so his wisdom began to be well known all over the world. It tells us in chapter 4 of 1 Kings that God gave Solomon wisdom and exceeding great understanding and largeness of, largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east, all the men of Egypt, who is wiser than all the men. And to mention some names of men and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees. He spoke of the hyssop and springs out of the wall. And he spoke of animals and of birds and of creeping things and of fish and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Oh, we desperately need wisdom in these days. We need problem solvers. We need people who are not just book smart, but people who know how to apply their knowledge and walk in wisdom to help alleviate the ills of this world. And as I said, Solomon's wisdom went global. As a matter of fact, it tells us in chapter 10, went all the way to Ethiopia, in Africa, it says, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. She went to Jerusalem, and she bore a lot of gifts. It mentions what the gifts were. And she tested him and asked him about everything that was in her heart. Solomon answered all of her questions. So there was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba heard all of the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the servants and the waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no spirit or no breath left in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are you men, and happy are those who are your servants, 
who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the name of the Lord your God, who is delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he has made you king to do justice and righteousness. So it went, his wisdom and his fame went as far as uh, the place of Africa and the Queen of Sheba. And it's amazing how um, even the Ethiopian who was a eunuch, as is recorded in Acts chapter 8, uh, was connected somehow through the Jewish uh, nature of, of the religion that started in the Queen's lands because they began to convert to Judaism, history tells us, around that time. And so that legacy continued, and Ethiopia is one of the oldest Christian nations now in the world. So they've been the people of God for many generations and uh, possibly over 3,000 years in some way, form, or fashion, at least a remnant of them. In spite of Solomon's wisdom, though, he had a huge downfall. And it's a sad narrative because it shows us even the wisest person, even a mature Christian, can fall. Uh, it may take you 30 years to build up a life of integrity, but you could destroy it in three seconds with one stupid act. And so Solomon had a downfall, tells us in 1 Kings chapter 11. But Solomon, that word but, very important, as Solomon loved many foreign women. And he wound up marrying into the nations of whom God said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, for they will turn your heart after their own gods. So he married people who didn't have his values. He married outside of the Jewish faith. He married into uh, families that were not circumcised, not part of God's covenant. And it's always an unwise thing if you're already a believer to marry someone who doesn't have the same values, to marry someone who's not a Christian. And so it says that when Solomon was old, he loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, and his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord, as was the heart of his father David. So Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. And so he fell into sin because of that one area of his life that he couldn't conquer. Um, I've heard it said by many uh, pastors in, in, since the 1980s, the three Gs are the downfall of most men. And they, they say it's gold, gals, and glory. Another way of putting it is sex, money, and power. And of course, that could be the downfall of women as much as men. So these are three very alluring, seductive forces in the world. And it has taken many men and women of God down, unfortunately. But we've seen many of them recover and have greater ministry afterwards, thank the Lord. So uh, Solomon was seduced by uh, lust, which is uh, illicit sex, is a form of idolatry, because when we love anything that is created more than the creator, it is a form of idolatry, even if we don't have a statue erected, erected and we worship a statue. So uh, when it says don't have any gods before the Lord, it's talking about not even putting 
a hobby, not putting a personal desire before God. That becomes a God in your life. And so after Solomon fell away from the Lord, the joy that he walked with in the Lord was taken from him. And it was uh, so empty that he actually wrote a book called the Book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is a book about a backslider, somebody who lives an empty life without God. Very, very powerful book. It would be a confusing book for a new Christian if they read it without understanding the backstory that Solomon wrote it after his heart turned away from the Lord. And the end of the book actually brings things to a better conclusion. And so he narrated his life without God, but evidently he wrote it after he came back to God because of the end of the matter that he records, which we'll get into. So the book of Ecclesiastes is a very powerful book, another book in the wisdom literature of the Bible, along with Proverbs and the book of Job. Uh, and so this book shows the huge gap in the heart of a person. Doesn't matter how much money they have, how much fame, doesn't matter how many uh, women they sleep with or men they sleep with, it shows a huge gap in the heart of a person who has everything the world that can offer, anything the world that offer, can offer, but do not have God in their life or do not put God first. And so a snapshot of Ecclesiastes, we look at chapter 1, which frames the whole book. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Solomon writes, Vanity of vanities or worthlessness, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is worthless, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Well, you're not going to have any profit because your heart will be empty without God. The heart is so big that only God can fill it. There's a huge hole in every one of our hearts, and only God is big enough to fill that hole. In Ecclesiastes 1, verse 16 uh, Solomon says, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness. I have gained more wisdom than all that were before me. And yet, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. I uh, guided my heart with all that the sons of man had under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted vineyards. I made gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees. I acquired male and female servants. I had them born in my house. I had greater possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who was in Jerusalem before me. I gathered silver and gold and all the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I made myself great and excelled more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart uh, uh, had a reward from all its labor. But then I looked at all the works of my hands and all the labor that I had toiled with. And indeed, all was vanity and a grasping after the wind. There was no profit under the sun. That's why we read about so many famous people killing themselves. Money doesn't make you happy. Fame doesn't make you happy. It just creates a monster where you may be famous one day, but then you have to be more famous than everybody else in that field of work the next day. And it's a constant stress. 
to be the most famous person in sports or in music or in fashion, uh, whatever field you're in, it's a constant uh, battle to have the most likes or the most followers on Instagram. It's a competitive field where your value is derived from how many people like you or how many people recognize your name or how many newspapers or magazines you are on the front cover or if you're an actor, how many Oscar nominations you got or how many Grammys you were um, uh, nominated for or won if you're in music and so on and so forth. You can go on and on with Tonys and other kinds of awards. And so what Solomon was saying, all these things I had that the world could offer me at that time, which was over 3,000 years ago, yet he found it was vanity because it was outside of the Lord. And finally, the good news is Solomon returns to the Lord at the end of his life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we read, starting with verse 11, now these are the words of the wise. Talking about the Bible now, the words of the wise are like goads or like nails. And the words of scholars are well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study brings wearisome to the body. So what he's saying is primarily be a person of one book, the Bible. Not that we shouldn't read other books or get a good education. Of course not. I read many other books. But primarily what shapes me, primarily... I am informed by the book written by my shepherd, by one shepherd, the Word of God, which is written over a period of 1,600 years, 40 different authors, most of which who didn't know each other from different walks of life, different, different geographical locations, different ethnicities. Some were Jewish, most were, some weren't, yet they all pointed to Jesus Christ and his story. Amazing. That's one of the greatest proofs of the integrity of Scripture and the high view of Scripture. And so, at the end of his life, Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so, are you allowing this present crisis to strip you of everything you trusted in? Except God, there is a crisis that is greater than we've ever seen almost in human history. Six million, six billion people locked down, not able to enter uh, social proximity with each other, except for some exceptions. Um, but are you trusting in God through this? Do you see the folly in trusting in man instead of God? Do you see the folly in trusting in man-made political and economic solutions? Banks don't even know what's going to happen. Economists have no way of predicting what the economic outturn is going to mean. They said we've never been this way before. We've never seen something like this. Are you a, a person who's tired of attempting to seek fulfillment in your life by mere fleshly pursuits? Or will you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Finally, today, tried everything doesn't matter how many relationships you have, no man, no woman, even if it's your wife or your husband, will fully satisfy you. Your children will never fully satisfy you. Your prestige in society will never fully satisfy you. Drugs will never fully satisfy you. Sin 
has pleasure, but it's only momentary. The Bible does talk about the pleasures of sin, but it also says the way of a sinner is hard. The outcome is death, because whatever we sow, we will reap. So God is calling you today, calling you to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him your Lord today. If you want to do that, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, the just died for the unjust, all of us are sinners, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But today, you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord. That'll be the wisest decision you ever made. You'll still have problems, but you'll have wisdom through the Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through the people of God that walk with you. They'll help you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Most importantly, you will have Jesus as the Good Shepherd, by whom you will lack nothing. So if you want to receive Christ in your life, he said, I've come to give you life and a more abundant life. You want the joy of the Lord in your life that transcends any knowledge or any experience you could possibly have. You want to receive Christ. Why don't you repeat this prayer after me? It doesn't mean anything because I'm saying it, but the Bible says if you say it with your mouth and at the same time believe in your heart what you're about to say, that God rose Jesus from the dead, but whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you want to do that, if you want to ask Christ in your life, just repeat this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, come to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, thank you for allowing men to crucify you, to whip you with a cord. Thank you that it's by your wounds I am healed. Thank you that you didn't stay in the grave, rose from the dead. Because you rose from the dead, I believe you're here right now. Please, Jesus, come in my life. Take me, I'm yours. Give me the power of your spirit so I can follow you all the days of my life. Well, for those of you who prayed that prayer, I'm excited for you. Please get in touch with our church. Let us know how we can contact you. We want to get you in a good church. We want to give you some literature. We want to walk with you. Everything is explained um, on this YouTube station. We'll give you the information in a moment. And for the rest of you, I want to pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, that you'll know how to walk a life worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, that you will grow in the grace and wisdom and knowledge of Christ for the glory of God until he come in Jesus. Joseph Matera, God bless you. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.